everybody and welcome to the well once again here at STSA we are continuing a discussion we started last week as you saw there from the video about things Jesus never said we are spending five weeks talking about some of the things that we often hear attributed to Jesus that we think is in the Bible but upon further investigation we discover it's not actually there and last week we looked at what I believe is the most common statement or misquote that's attributed to Jesus, which is, follow me and I will give you the desires of your heart. We talked about last week how it sounds very spiritual and it sounds so nice and it gives us a warm fuzzy inside, but Jesus never actually said that. We talked about that last week. And today we're going to talk about probably the second most misquoted and abused statement that we attribute to our Lord Jesus Christ which is as they just showed us right there and as you see on your handout, which is God will never give you more than you can handle. You've heard that before, right? I won't make a show of hands of how many people not only heard it, but have said that to others. Someone's going through a hard time. We don't know what to say. God will never give you more than you can handle. It just kind of flows right out of our mouth, makes everybody feel good, and we go home, we feel good about ourselves. But the question we need to look at today is, did God actually say that? Does the Bible actually say that? True story. It was back... Probably I've been a priest probably for about a year, maybe a year and some change or a little bit less than a year. And I was on a retreat with other priests, okay? And these were obviously much more experienced priests than myself. People have been priests for 10 years, 15 years. And even there was one bishop who had been a bishop probably for 20 years, whatever it was. And it was a group of people, and they were all much more experienced in life than I was. And we were talking about trials, all right? We were talking about tribulation and hardship. And we were saying about how you can't really have Christianity without hardship. You can't have Christianity without trials. Like that's one of the things that Christ promised. There's no such thing as a Christian life, especially a life of service, which we were talking about like serving God, without trials. And here I am, the dumb-dumb in the front, been a priest for a year, and I raised my hand. I said, okay, well, I got a question. What if I feel like I don't have any trials in my life? Like my life is going pretty well. 
You know, like everything is good. Like I don't have any suffering. I don't have any persecution. Like what if I feel like my life is going pretty okay? The bishop looked at me and he said, how long have you been a priest? I said, about a year. He said, how long, how long have you been married? I said, about a year and a half. He said, you have kids? I said, not yet. He's like, just wait and see. He's like, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out eventually with time. And since that time, not saying because of that, okay, but I'm saying since that time, I have come to the conclusion that every single person in this world, that means every single person in this room, is in one of three phases when it comes to trials in life. Either you just came out of one, or you're currently in one, or you're getting ready to go into it. Congratulations. Either you just came out of a trial, or you're currently in the middle of one, or God is preparing you to go through one very soon. Because the one thing that is inevitable in life is that trials will come. And that's why St. Peter says in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, and St. Peter summarizes a thought that many of the New Testament writers said the same thing. He said, Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. He's like, people are coming to him and saying, Peter, we're going through hard times. And he's like, yeah, but it's, it's a lot going on here, Peter. We can't really take it. Okay. What's the shock there? What's the strange thing there? Because one of the things that we know in Christianity, I'm sorry to say this is uh, this, this last week. I told you God didn't here to just make you happy. And that made and this week. I'm going to tell you that God is here. And he's going to give you trials. And I'm telling you that not only God will give you trials in this life, I'm telling you God promises to give you trials. Like I'm not saying that God says you may have trials. I'm saying God promises. Jesus himself said, in the world you will have tribulation. That's a promise. He said, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you my son. And I'm going to give you tribulations. It's a promise. King David in the Psalms wrote, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. One of the things that we know in Christianity, as we saw last week, the goal of life isn't to be happy. And we're going to see this week that the goal of life isn't to live a pain-free life, a trial-free life. That's what we want. But here's the problem, is that we call ourselves Christians, don't we? We call ourselves Christians. What does the word Christian mean? Why did we come up with the term Christian? Because it sounds nice. Who came up with the term Christian? Did Christians come up with the term Christian? Non-Christians called Christians Christians to identify this group of people because Christian meant what? What did Christian mean? It means people like Christ, followers of Christ. It meant, it meant there's a group of people over here, and these people are different than us. So we know these, these followers of Christ, these Christians, it wasn't meant in a, like, I'm a Christian. It was meant in a, like, you Christians, you followers of Christ. Let me tell you something. Because the one thing that identifies us is that we are followers of someone who his entire life was suffering and trials, and tribulation, and no place to lay his head, and gave up everything for us. How can our life as disciples not be trials if the one who we claim to follow was all trials? How can our life be easy if the one who we claim, our, our job, our hope is to have the same life as him, and have his life in us, how can our life be easy if his life was anything but easy? It goes against the meaning of what it means to be Christian, or be, to be a Christian. And it's not just Bible, it's not just preaching, it's not just the words from St. Peter, this is life, right? This is the life that you live and that I live. You ever been to a sporting event 
and you've seen like the halftime act, the plate spinners. You've seen the plate spinners? Fascinating stuff. The people who come out and they sit down and they have all these like, I don't know, they have like these sticks on them. And they take a plate and they spin it and it's spinning on the stick. They get another plate and they spin it over here and it's spinning and then spin another one here and spin another one. And then once they put this one, they got to go back to the first one and spin that. Then they put one over here and then they got to go back and spin this one. And they put one on the leg and they got to keep spinning. And they're constantly adding more plates and spinning more. And the ones that they got, you seen this stuff? It's must-see TV. If you've never seen it, go YouTube plate spinners. It's fascinating stuff. One guy has had 18 plates spinning on him, one on his head and one on his neck and one in his nose. I don't know where it was coming out of, but he had 18 plates spinning. And he, you got to keep on checking all the, isn't that how life is? Isn't that how our life experience is? Isn't it that at the worst possible time, when I'm already at capacity, at the worst possible time, that relationship blows up in my face? At the worst time. Like, why couldn't the relationship have just waited until next week? At the worst time. And then I work on that relationship. I try to fix that relationship. And then I go over here, and my boss says, we need you to work extra and light and work. Oh, and I got to go back in here and fix work. Then I got to keep making sure this relationship keeps spinning. And then I work over here, and then I got a financial problem over there. And then the doctor says, you need to come in, and a physical therapist, and I'm trying to keep all these things spinning. And then I come to church, the priest says, you need to pray more, and you need to read your Bible to be a good boy. And I'm like, I don't got time for that. And we feel like the plate spinners. Because life in this world is not pain-free. It's not trial-free. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Promises that there will be trials, and those trials will be difficult. And then, here's the best part. Inevitably, 100% of the time, inevitably, when you are at that moment, you are got those plates spinning, you are running like a crazy person, you're trying to do this or you're trying to do that. Here comes your Christian friend, your overly Christian friend, and he's well-meaning, best of intentions, she's just trying to help her friend out, and she comes to you with your standard Christian cliche. I'll give you a couple options. One, which we're not going to talk about here today, but one you may hear is, God helps those who help themselves. So here you are, a crazy person, trying to figure out what's going on. And you know, God would help you if you helped yourself a little bit. God helps those who help themselves. It never says that in the Bible. I don't know who came up with that, but somebody who probably had a very easy life never says that in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. I'll tell you another one, which I just heard recently, which I, don't, I didn't even know what this means, but someone said, when God closes a door, he always opens a window. What does that mean? Here I am, going crazy in life. I live on the seventh floor. Why is God opening a window? That doesn't seem like a positive thing that God would want to bring into my life. Or the best, which is today's topic, which as you just heard, don't worry. Don't worry. God will never give you more you can handle. And they will swear it's in the Bible. They will swear it is in the Bible. You're about to pull your hair out. You say, I can't take any more of this. And they tell you, they're there. Don't worry. God will never give you more than you can handle. Have a good day. Did God ever say that I'll never give you one you can handle? It sounds right. And it sounds like it makes sense. Like, doesn't God say that? Well, God said something similar to that. The Bible has a verse that's similar to it. Maybe you've heard it. And maybe people confuse the two together. And that verse is from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But you'll see it's a very different verse. So watch what it says. It says, no temptation, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able 
But with the temptation, we'll also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear. It doesn't say you'll never have trials more than you can bear. You'll never have temptations more than you can bear. Now you say, Father Anthony, you're just kind of like, it's just, just semantics. Like you say tomato, I say tomato. Aren't they the same thing? No. It's trial and temptation. It's not our topic here for today, but they're two completely separate things. Trials and temptation. What's the difference between them? The difference is the source and the purpose. The source and the purpose. And actually the purpose is determined by the source. So the source of trials is from God. Talk about that in a minute. Source of temptation is from devil. God doesn't tempt. God gives trials, and we'll see that in a second. Put that on the side. Devil gives temptations. What's the purpose of a temptation? Okay, so we would sometimes say the purpose is to make us sin, to get us to fall, to get us to be miserable. All those things are step one, step two, step three, but that's not God's, that's not the devil's ultimate goal. The devil's ultimate goal in everything he does, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So temptations are given to you to destroy you, to destroy your life. And that's how we need to approach sin. When I see this temptation right here, it's not, you know, when in Rome and little dabble and nobody's looking. No, that temptation is trying to destroy my life. That temptation is trying to destroy my marriage. That temptation is trying to destroy my eternal existence in the kingdom of heaven. A little temptation, you may not realize it, but the source behind it is to destroy your life. Devil never wants to get you to do a sin or even a series of sins. Devil wants to destroy you. Body, soul, and spirit destroy you. Utter destruction. And he uses little itsy bitsy little temptation. So anything in the temptation category, that's destruction. That's from devil. And what God says, he says, I know you can't handle the devil because the devil is too big for you. So I will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. And God makes like an umbrella around us, an umbrella to protect us. Because if God didn't protect us from the devil's temptations, we would get crushed. And what God does is he allows the devil. So imagine like it's raining and like I got this umbrella and it's like a thousand raindrops that aren't hitting me. And then one little guy flies and hits me in the face and I say, oh, God, don't protect me. And God, no, protected me from all these things. It will never allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able. But with the temptation, will make a way of escape. That's temptation. Trials are not from devil. Trials are from who? From God. What's the purpose then? Well, that's what we're going to see here today. That's what we're going to see today, is what is the purpose? But what I want you to realize is the Bible never says you'll be, you won't be tried more than, than you can handle. In fact, I would argue the exact opposite. I would argue that the Bible is a history of the saints of God enduring more than they can handle. Daniel went face to face with a lion and a lion's den. You're going to look down at Daniel thrown there in front of a lion. You're going to say, Daniel, good luck. God will never give you more than you can handle. You got this one, buddy. Three saintly youth thrown into a fiery furnace. No problem. You got this one. Joseph, the great, was thrown into a well by his brothers and then sold as a slave into Egypt. And you're going to go to him and say, don't worry, Joseph. I'm sure this is going to be great. Like, you got this. St. Paul, verse here from St. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. St. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. He says, from the Jews, he's talking about all the suffering that he endured. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. What's that, what's that saying? Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. What's he saying? It happened to him five times. He got whipped. Y'all remember in the movie, The Passion of the Christ? When Jesus got whipped once, okay? Once Jesus got whipped, so 39 times was one whipping. 
we, Jesus got whipped once that way, and we cringed, and we couldn't take it. Like, we can't even watch someone getting whipped once. St. Paul got whipped how many times? Five times. Five times he endured that, but never more than you can handle. Don't worry. Three times they went easy on me and didn't beat me with rods. So five times with the whips, and then three times it was like rods, which is like after the whips was like a massage to him, okay? That's how it felt. Once I was stoned. Not the way you're thinking. Three times. Three times I was shipwrecked. Y'all know what shipwrecked? Y'all remember Gilgan's Island? That happened to him three times. And he wasn't with the professor and Marianne and Ginger and all those people. But look what it says to him. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Imagine that. You spent a night in the middle of the ocean. If you've never been in the ocean, okay, can't imagine this, when it's pitch dark and you got your eyes covered and you don't know what's going on around you, you don't know if Jaws is coming here, or you don't know what's happening, and you spend a night out in the ocean. That's St. Paul. But God will never give you more than you can handle. It goes on. I've been in the deep uh, journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness. Perils means danger. So what he's saying is, when I was with my countrymen, I was in danger. When I was with not my countrymen, I was also in danger. When I was in the city, I was in danger. When I was in the wilderness, I was in danger. Everywhere he went, his life was danger. Even in the sea, he found danger. In perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, and sleepness is often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. He's saying, on top of all that, I have to do what? Take care of the church. And you people come and complain that the coffee ain't good enough, and da 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 that's on top of all this other suffering. I got to deal with the complainings in the church. And then he says this. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. Answer that question. Who is weak and I'm not weak? See, this is comforting to me. I don't know about you. This is comforting to me. To know that when I'm in a hard time and someone says, no one will give me more than you can handle. You should be okay. Say, no, you know what? St. Paul had a situation. Like, you can go to St. Paul. And say, St. Paul, this wasn't more than you can handle. St. Paul knows how I feel. Daniel knew how I feel. Joseph knows how I feel. And I tell you who else knows how you feel? Jesus knows how you feel. Because look at what Jesus said the night before when he was arrested, before he was killed. Mark 14. Jesus said, my soul, maybe you've said this before, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. The great one. Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him and said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Anyone who tells you that God will never give you more than you can handle hasn't read the Bible. Because to me, the Bible is a litany of people having more than they can handle. So that's good news for me and you. Today, you feel I'm drowning under the weight of problems. I'm drowning under the pressure of the trials in life. Too much. I can't take anymore. Too much. I can't take anymore. Well, I say, first thing, you're in a good place because you're in the same place that Joseph was, that David was, that, uh, who else did I say? Daniel was, that Paul was, and even Jesus Christ himself walked the same steps. He knows what it's like to feel like it's too much, like I can't take no more. And in case you're wondering, this is the same night that not only he prayed this prayer, and my soul was exceedingly sorrowful to death, but that exceedingly sorrowful soul became manifest and expressed when Jesus prayed. And what happened? He sweat blood. That blood came out of his sweat stuff, which is a, a, a severe, severe state of anxiety and stress and pressure upon any human being that would cause such a reaction. So Jesus knows what you're going through. 
Jesus knows what you're going through. All we need to talk about today, get rid of the idea that God will never give me more than I can handle. God does give me more than I can handle. And I need to stop trying to pretend like he does it and try to figure out why. Why does he do it? And what is the benefit of it? Why does God give us trials? Why does God allow our life to be more than we can handle? And what can we benefit from it? I'm going to give you two reasons. And I don't want to say this is an all-inclusive list, a comprehensive list. But these are just the two reasons that I feel like we need to hear today. All right? Two reasons why God gives us more than we can handle and how we can respond. Number one, God will give you more than you can handle to wake you up. Sometimes God needs to wake us up. Now let me pause right here and tell you this. If the only thing you know about God is what I just said, if you take that sound clip, God gives you trials, God gives you uh, tribulation to wake you up. If that's all you take, and that's all you know about God, and that's your God right there, you're going to have a very incorrect impression of God. Because you're going to seem like God, is going to sound to you like God is mean, and God just wants to like, you wake up over there. And he's willing to make us lose stuff and suffer and be miserable just to get us to pay attention to him. Is that what I'm saying? Not exactly. What I'm saying is, sometimes, y'all know what this is? That, you youngsters, it's called an alarm clock. And I know there's a generation of people in this room listening to me online who have no idea what this is. Thought this was just for movies. Because it's not an app on your phone, you don't know what this is, but they actually make real alarm clocks. And people like myself who live in black and white, we still use them. And I will tell you this as a side note. If all you do is use your phone to wake you up in the morning, I will make the case that is the worst habit that you do in life. And I would be happy to explain it to you why later, but I will tell you that if you don't have, I, I bought alarm clocks for people. Like I go on Amazon and buy, this is $10, okay? And I'm primed, so free shipping, okay? And I'm telling you, it is the best thing that you do for your life if you have a problem, but of course none of you do, where you love to cuddle with your phone and your phone is the good, good night, my phone, and I wake up and I say hi to my phone and it's just my alarm. And while I'm here, might as well check Facebook, might as well check Twitter, might as well check email, might as well check. And I'll tell you, I make the case that's the worst thing that you do for your life. Spend $10, get one of these bad boys right here. Okay, but that's another topic. This is an alarm clock. An alarm clock serves what purpose? To wake us up. The purpose of this thing is to wake us up. And what is the means by which it serves its purpose? I know, I'm being dumb here. Humor me. The means by which it wakes me up is what? Alarm. Loud noises. Violent shaking and flashing if, if, if it need be for you. It is not called a serenity clock. It does not wake me up by massaging my head and saying, they're there now, it's time to wake. It awakens me in a loud, violent noise and shakes the house. And as soon as it does that, what do I do to the alarm clock? I curse it. I yell at it. I punch it in the face. I kick it out the window because I hate the way it makes me feel. And then what do I do after that? I pick it up. I say, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I put it back on my nightstand and I set it to do the same thing again the next day. Right? We curse it. We hate it. Tuh, on it. And then we bring it back every night and we put it there. Why? I can only think of two reasons. Either we are insane. And if you look down from uh, above, you see these people are nuts because they are inviting this violent alarm clock 
into their homes. So they must be insane. Or the other option is this thing, while painful and while annoying as more than anything else in this world, and while I hate it in the moment, is good for me. Is good for me. And if I didn't have this, I'd probably lose my job. And if I didn't have this, wouldn't make it on time to anything in this world. And if I didn't have this, we'd all be in bed right now. So this thing, which I hate, I hate it. You make my life miserable. Is useful to me. Agree? Sometimes the thing that's painful in the moment, we can all agree is useful after the moment. You ever noticed that when things are going good in life, it's easy to forget about God? You ever notice that? Things are going good. Don't pray as much. Church isn't as high a priority. Bible's there, but it's kind of like an ornament. And then what happens when the trials come? Oh, we need you, God. We love you, God. You're the best. God, we need you. Please, please, please. Oh, where are you, God? We love you, God. What time does church service start? I'll be there. You ever notice that? True story that another pastor told. I'm going to steal his story right now. Another pastor told this story, but I thought of it because last night I was on an airplane. Okay, and this pastor tells a story about how he was one time on an airplane. And he sat on the airplane, and there was a lady sitting next to him. And he said they got on the plane, and they made nice conversation, and they're joking and whatever it may be. And then the conversation naturally turned to, what do you do for a living? All right? So he said, I'm a pastor. And he said, as soon as she said that, I'm sorry, as soon as he said that, her face changed. And she said to him, look here, pastor, two things. He said, yes. Number one, I'm not a Christian. And number two, I don't want you to try to make me one. He said, okay, lady, let's just get to our destination. They get up there and they start flying. And then he said they hit some turbulence on the way. Okay. And you would think, okay, so kids, most of the time you're in a turbulent situation, you want to be next to a pastor. Okay. Except me. I'm the worst person to be next to. Okay, last night when I was flying, the flight was fantastic the whole way. It was just from Toronto, a short flight. And then the last 10 minutes, and I'm, I'm sweating and I'm nervous. And I'm like, is anyone here a priest? Is anyone here I'm to confess my sins to? Like, I'm, I'm that guy, okay? Like, I'm the guy shouting out my sins, okay? Dedicate my life to Jesus again, whatever, okay? But this guy is much better than me. They hit the turbulence. And he started praying. Because he's a pastor, he's spiritual, and started praying. And she saw him praying. She had a different response to the turbulence. She started cursing. Cursing, he's in his own words, cursing as if it was her spiritual gift to curse. Mother this and brother that and son of a that and bleeping this and bleeping that. He said she made up new combinations, things that didn't know existed. Okay, it was, it was, he said it was like an art form, okay, the way she did this cursing thing. And she looked at him and he's sitting there praying and this and that and bleeping all this stuff. And they just go in there. He's just sitting there praying. And at one point, she turned to him and said, I don't know what you're praying about. Oh, this is not and bleeping this and that. But you might as well pray for me too. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that when the turbulence hits, that wake-up call, there's a story in the Bible of a man named Jonah. Maybe you've heard his story before. Jonah was a good man who loved God. He was not far away from God. He was very close to God. He was a special man to God. God wanted him to be his special messenger. But Jonah didn't like the message, so Jonah kind of ignored God. And God said, Jonah, I need you to go over there. And Jonah kind of turned his back this way. Jonah, I need you to go. And Jonah kind of turned his back. And Jonah actually not only turned his back, Jonah ran from God. 
And Jonah said, God wants me to go over there. Well, I don't want to go over there, so I'm going to get on a boat and go over there. God wants me to go east. I'm going to get on a boat and go west. And what happened to Jonah who was on that boat? Jonah missed the first alarm. And Jonah hit the snooze on it and said, stop it. You see, God is very persistent. So God rang a louder alarm. And Jonah said, quiet. And Jonah kept hitting the quiet button. And God said, you're going to be late to work. You're going to miss out on something very important. So I'm going to keep turning up the, the volume on the alarm clock right here. Jonah in the boat. The rain start coming. Jonah said, I don't care. I'm going to sleep. And Jonah slept. And then while it was raining, the wind and the waves. And Jonah's still trying to sleep. And then finally Jonah couldn't sleep no more. And the people on the boat said, hey, Jonah, there's a problem right here. Any idea how this problem came? Jonah's like, I don't know. It's, it's not my business. It must be, I don't know, just bad weather patterns. And then finally Jonah said, okay, you know what, guys? It's my fault. It's on me. And then they threw Jonah in the water. And you would say, when they threw Jonah in the water, then he'd figure out, I need God. But Jonah didn't realize he needed God. Jonah was still ignoring God. And then God said, okay, Jonah, you're not getting this. So you know what I'm going to do with you? Let me think. How Jonah? I'm going to bring a whale from the furthest corner of the ocean to come and swallow you up, but whole, not chew you, just swallow you. You be down in the belly of the fish. And then Jonah's finally like, okay, I got here, God. You're trying to get my attention, aren't you, God? And that's what happened to Jonah, chapter 2. Jonah says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called the Lord, and he answered me. From, the deep in the realm of, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Not in my success, I called to you, but in my distress. Not when life was prospering, but when life was ebbing away. I always think to myself, Jonah. Like, what would have happened if Jonah would have just, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed? What if Jonah prayed from inside the boat? Think there would have been a fish? What if Jonah prayed from the land before he even got on the boat? Think there would have been any of that stuff? What if Jonah prayed from it? You see? Sometimes God needs to get our attention. And just in case you think that I'm talking about just people outside the church, I'm talking about the bad people who don't, like, this doesn't apply to us because we're church people. No, this applies to us. Jonah was a good guy. Sometimes you need that problem in your marriage to realize that you're not doing marriage right. You need that problem in your marriage to realize that you're not approaching marriage right. You're trying to do it on your own. You're not really, incor like you incorporated me during the dating. You're not incorporating me during the parenting, during the marriage. Sometimes you need that problem. Sometimes you need that problem at work to realize that you are pursuing the wrong thing at work. And yes, I do want you to be prosperous, but not the way you interpreted prosperous. You made it just be all about, I need a big house. I need a bigger, and I need to have my ego. And sometimes we need that wake-up call. Sometimes, as bad as this sounds, and I'm not saying I wish this upon anybody here, but I'm saying sometimes you need that call from the doctor, the diagnosis, to wake you up, and I've seen it. I'll tell you, you know what I've seen many times? I hope this never happens to anyone here. But I'm telling you, I've seen people walking so far from God, so far from the right path, a life of destruction, go to jail. And I'm telling you, jail, that's a wake-up call. And sometimes, I know this sounds so bad to say, and I forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But sometimes, I even said this to a mom one time, best thing that ever happened to her son was that he got in prison. Best thing that ever happened to her son. Because I tell you, without going to prison, I know exactly who he was going to end up, both in this life and in the one to come. And the best thing that ever changed him was that wake-up call. Because the alarm, as painful, annoying as it is, sometimes is the best thing for us. So first reason is sometimes God 
gives us trials to wake us up. And they are more than we can handle. Now you say, well, I'm already awake. And I say, number two, sometimes God gives us trials to grow our faith. To grow our faith. Because the principle in life is this. That not, you know this to be true in every area of life. Nothing grows unless it is challenged. Nothing grows unless it is put under stress and tension. Nothing gets better unless it is challenged. True story. I told you all before, I'm approaching my 40th birthday, so I'm right now in full-fledged midlife crisis mode. Okay? So I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm one step ahead. Like, why wait till I get to 40 to be midlife crisis? Like, I'm going to be playing it. I'm a planner. So I got it on my calendar. Okay? So for the next six months, I'm, or four months, I'm doing the midlife crisis thing, and I'm, I'm like, other people get motorcycles, or I don't know, a motorcycle, I'm, and people get facial hair, I already got that. Like, I'm, I'm, let me do my own thing. So my thing is, I'm running a half marathon in September, all right? And you say, what's the big deal? No, that's a big deal for me, because I'm not the most, like, yeah, that's a big deal for me, okay? So one of the things that I decided to do to prepare myself is I signed up for a running coach, okay? So I have a running coach to help me so that I don't injure myself or break something, or you know what I mean? Like, at my age, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm midlife crisis. So this past Wednesday, I had my first session with my running coach. All right, and he said, you're going to go easy on this one. And we're just going to kind of get some baseline numbers. So he said, okay, take a lap around the track. So I took a lap. Just, I said, it's warm up, just warm. So it's go easy. Then he said, okay, we're going to test you on one mile just to see, you know, how fast you run one mile. So he said, run a mile at the pace you would run the half marathon. Okay. So run it at like your long distance pace, which like half marathon, 13 miles. He said, run at that pace. And I said, and he said, so it doesn't matter what time you get. I said, okay, and I was going to run at that pace. And then he pulled out a watch. So once you pull out the watch, like, I'm racing, okay? You told me don't matter the time. Like, no, you pulled out the watch. And you got to pan you and write, no, I'm racing, okay? So I ran as fast as I could run a mile. Because I knew I was just running one. I could not run 30. I couldn't run two at that pace. But I ran one as fast as I could. And I came across. He said, wow, that's pretty good. That's great. That's, that's right. Yeah, and I'd give me water. Then he said, okay, now run it again. We're running faster. I was like, I was like, what do you mean run it faster? He's like, run it faster. That was like your 13-mile pace. Run it at a faster pace. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, you know, just, just hypothetically, like, like let's say I, I, I was going as fast as, you know what I mean? And he said, no, you, you have to run it faster. And I said, well, I don't know if I can. And he said, look. He said it, and I won't use all the words that he said because it's church appropriate, okay? He said, you're not paying me to tell you that you're fast. You're paying me to, to make you faster, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. And I ran it faster. And they went home and took an ice bath for 20 minutes. But the principle of life is this. Nothing gets stronger unless it is challenged. Nothing gets stronger without being challenged. Nothing gets stronger without being challenged. That applies to your muscles. That applies to your mind. That applies to your spirit. So you say, I want to get strong. I want to be buff and I want to do I want to look like you, Father Anthony. How do I get the big 24-inch pythons like you? I say, you know what? Okay, let's do push-ups. You say, okay, I can do 20 push-ups. And I'm telling you, if I can do 20 push-ups, I can do 20 push-ups, I can do 20. Doing 20 push-ups doesn't make you stronger. You know what makes you stronger? Doing 21. And those who know anything about exercise know this is the principle. That if you can do 20 push-ups, and you spend all your time, you do those 20 push-ups, they did not increase your strength one bit. All of the strength was increased when you did 21, and if you get 22. 
Like the entire workout was to get to number 21 and 22. That's how workouts go. You, it's not the first 20 that did anything for you. And then if you can do 22, then doing 22 won't get you any, anywhere. You got to do 23. You got to do 24. Same thing in your mind. This is why we don't believe that after we finish studies that we stop reading. You got to keep reading, keep stretching your mind. If you don't stretch your mind and continue reading and growing intellectually, this thing will die. This thing will die. And the same is true in your spirit. The only way to get your spirit stronger is to push it. Say, you can do 20, do 22. Say, you can run mile in this fast, run it in this fast. You can handle this much trials, let me give you this much trials. The Bible says it this way in Romans 5, verse 3 or 4. St. Paul, who was an expert on trials, said, not only that, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. We glory. We rejoice in them. We say these tribulations, while painful, while alarming, while causes difficulty, is good for us in the long run because of what it produces. Peter says the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now and for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, the genuineness of your faith being more, much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory, the revelation of Jesus Christ. No trial, no growth. No challenge, no growth. No tribulation, no difficulty, no suffering. Life smooth. The person who spends his whole life on a, on, on, on a couch, someone feeding him grapes all day and fanning him, that person will never get stronger. That person will only only get weaker until he ultimately dies. Is that how you want your faith to be? Or you want your faith to get stronger? Now, some of you would say, if we're honest, like if we're honest, 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 some of you would say, I don't want my faith to get stronger. I am content, to use a biblical word. I'm content with the way things are now, Father. I don't need any more. Like, I got lots of faith. I got enough faith. I don't need no more faith. Last week we said that the goal of life is not to be happy, for those who are here. We said the goal of life is to be what? Who remembers the word I said? The goal of life is not to be happy, but to be blessed. And we said that the word blessed, makarios in Greek, doesn't mean happy. It means more than happy. More than happy. That there's a life of happiness, which we strive for. We want this happiness. And we think that's what God's job is, to make us happy on this earth. And give me the number of kids I want. And give me the job I want. And give me the money. Give me the house. Give me the wife. Give me the kids. Give me everything that I want right here. And God said, I want you not to be happy. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be more than happy. So that when you are, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty, you can still be blessed. That when you're mourning, you can still be comforted. That when you are persecuted, you can rejoice. There is a level above happiness. That's a level of blessing. Well, I got another, I got a follow-up question to you for you after that. How does one achieve this life of blessing? What is the means by which this life of blessing is attained? I would argue that that life is attained by faith. And that faith opens the door to a new plane of living. That without faith, you kind of go by what you see, okay? And this much money is better than this much money. And a house this big is not as good as a house this big. And without faith, you just kind of go with what your eyes see. You're thinking very short-sighted. But faith opens the door to a whole new level of living. And I can see trial with blessing. And I can see pain with glory. And I can see mourning with comfort. 
That's what faith does. Look what this verse says. One of my favorite verses. This is a memory verse for you. Okay, you going through trials, you memorize Psalm 125.1 and you recite it a thousand times a day if need be. Those, let's say it all together, okay? Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Now go back and everyone say it with me. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. Look at that picture of that mountain. I don't think it's Mount Zion. Maybe it's Mount Everest. I don't know what mountain is, but that's a mountain. Those who trust in the Lord are like a mountain, which cannot be shaken. If you got a mountain, a mountain, anyone ever seen a mountain up close and personal? What can you do to shake a mountain? Let's say I go, let's say this is my mountain right here. And I say, mountain, I hate your guts. Bam! What's going to happen to that mountain? Nothing. I'm going to break my leg, exactly. And let's say, you know what? I'm going to get my car and drive my car right into this mountain. What's going to happen to that mountain? Nothing. Let's say the wind blows. Wind knocked down the mountain. What's going to happen to the mountain? Nothing. Rain. Fire. Nothing's going to shake that mountain because that's a mountain. Nothing shakes a mountain. I want to be a mountain. When I'm a mountain, by faith, cancer can't shake me. Diagnosis from the doctor can't shake me. Losing my job can't shake me. Problems in relationships can't shake me. Boyfriend left me, girlfriend left me, can't shake me. Can't shake me. Not easy. Alarm. Difficult. It can't shake me. Huh? Some of us, if we're honest, we're honest, our faith is not like Mount Zion. Our faith, man, you sneeze on our faith and our faith crumbles. Some of our faith is like a deck of cards, like a, a house of cards. Hachoo, there goes everything. Boss said one bad word, boom. So-and-so passed away, end of the world. Difficult time at home, there goes my faith. Whereas the one who learns to trust in God, one who has faith in God has an impenetrable fortress. He's got the Captain America shield and he stands there and let the world throw what it may. Let the devil do what he may and let what come, come. It will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. Won't be easy, but I will not be shaken. <clears throat> Earlier I told you that I have a theory that you're in one of three phases with trials. You are either in a, just came out of one, currently going through one, or about to go into one. And let me add on to that theory. And forgive me. I'm not wishing this upon everybody. Let me add to that theory. My theory is that as life goes on, not only the trials will continue, but they will get harder. They will get more difficult. Because you lost a loved one. And that person was so dear to you, and that shook you. Well, I got news for you. You're going to lose more loved ones. The older you get, the more death you're going to see in this world. Sickness came, and that was tough. But I got news for you. None of us getting any younger. Loved ones will get sick. You will get sick. Anybody look out there at the world today and say, yeah, the direction we're headed, yeah, I got, I got a good feeling about this. I didn't even bring up the election. My theory in life is not only the trials will, will continue, I think they'll get worse. I think they'll get stronger. I think they will get heavier. They'll be more difficult to lift. So you know what? I need to be prepared. I need to get stronger. Because I know that life is not going to get easier. So I need to get stronger to be prepared. Like if I know I need to do a more physically challenging thing, 
that I need to prepare myself by getting stronger. And I'm telling you, life will not get easier. In fact, Jesus himself promised that. I'm not trying to talk about the end of the world and prophecies and times and signs. I'm not into all that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you this, that every day that we live, we are one day closer to the end. And what Jesus promised us is as we get closer and closer, it will get more difficult. That's what he said. He said, actually, in those days, there will be tribulation and suffering such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world. That's what he says, not what I'm saying. He says, in those days, brother will betray brother, a father his children, and children will rise up against their, their parents. I'm not telling you I'm wishing this upon you. I'm telling you the inevitability of the trials of life, the difficulties of life, and if you are not prepared, you know why? You know why? I, let me tell you what I don't want to see, which unfortunately I've seen and you've seen, unfortunately, too many times, is the trial comes the house of cards falls, and we lose faith. And I've seen too many good people, unprepared for the trials of life, lose faith. Give up on God. Or not give up on God. The moral failures, the moral failures, that I need purity, for example. I need to fight for my purity because the trials that are attacking my purity are not going to get easier. I need to fight. I need to be strong. I need to be prepared. And if I'm not prepared, then the attack's going to come and I'm going to say, you know what? Then I'm going to throw in the towel. And that will be a great story of what could have been, but never was. I was not prepared for the trials of life. I wasn't prepared for the trial of faith, the test of faith, that when I really, really believed God was going to give me something and then God didn't give it to me. Life is a marathon. And I want you to be a light that not only shines bright, but a light that shines so bright that people from all over see your light and say, I want what you got. You tell me, how are you able to stay strong in this trial? And then you will say, it is because of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will point up. And you will say, that's why I remain strong. Not because I'm strong, but because he's strong and I'm in him and he's in me. That's what I want you to do. And if you want to be strong till the end, you need to go through some trials today to make you a little bit stronger. If you want to raise children who are strong till the end, you need to go through some trials in order to be prepared to raise them. If you want to be a light that shines, and we want our church to be a light that shines, then we are going to need to go through some of the necessary trials to get us there. But the trial in the end is worth it. The trial in the end is worth it. A tree in the desert that is just sitting there and there's no wind, will have roots this deep. A tree in a windy area. The wind will push it back and forth, and what will that tree do? That tree will dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and then when the wind blows, no one will shake that tree. I need to be that tree, and I need you to be that tree. We need to be like that tree. You know why? Last verse. Because Jesus said this. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, this is talking about you. We're taking this literally, not talking about other people. It's talking about you. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Last week, I told you to lower the expectations of your life in this world. I said, lower the expectations of what this world has to offer. That was the theme of last week. Lower your expectations of this world. Today, I want to say, increase your expectations of yourself. 
Increase your expectations of what God wants to do with you and through you and in you in this world. And realize that God has a great plan for you, but the prerequisite for that great plan, for these greater works, is faith. And the only way that faith grows is by trials. So as much as I don't want anyone to have any trials, and I want everyone to be smiling all day and all night, and I want all your prayers to be yes, that's what I want. What I want more is for you to have the faith that is in unshakable, invincible. And that may require some windy days. I'll leave you all with this thought. Last week we said the goal of life is to be blessed. Let me add on to that. The means by which we achieve that blessed life is faith. And faith only grows by trials. It sounds tough. Why would God give us more than we can handle? Why would God give us more than we can handle? I can't handle it. It's too much for me to handle. You remember this. But the goal is not to be a pain-free life. The goal is a blessed life. And the means by which our life is blessed, we achieve that blessed life, is faith. And the way that faith grows is when it's challenged with trials and tribulations. My prayer for you today, God would continue to work in your life, drive you towards that blessed life, and you would embrace it. And if that means you need the wake-up call, that you would wake up. You wouldn't wait for the whale to swallow you. And that means that you are awake, but God just wants to make you a little bit stronger, that you would embrace that. That you would allow God to make you stronger through that trial. Let's stand and say a prayer together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, as we know that your desire for us is never pain, your desire for us is, is blessing. Sometimes it takes pain to get us there. I pray that you would give us strength and, and, and faith to see you working behind the trials. And give us the faith that can endure whatever the world has to throw at us. That anyone who's here today who's shaking in their faith and wobbly and, 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 and unsure of whether they can handle it, that they would run to you and that you would strengthen them that we would be fighters. We would be fighters, Lord. Not people who are weak and just fall at the first sign of any kind of trial. That we would be like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.